You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, God is Good, recorded on January the 29th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. I hope you're enjoying the book of James as much as I am. Uh, Last week, Pastor Fred kicked off our sermon series called Faith That Works in the book of James. And and in doing so, uh, we were encouraged to persevere in our faith throughout all different kinds of trials that might come throughout this life. And the points of his sermon, they they were simple, but yet they were important to keep in mind. One was that trials are a sure thing in our life. Two, trials come in various forms, but they have the same common trait of testing our faith. And three, that trials are for our good. Then we were exhorted through his preaching and by the word to not only persevere in our faith, but to actually count it all joy because God is actually not wasting any of it. And throughout all these difficulties in our life, there will actually come a day for the believer uh, who perseveres when we will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so what a joy and what a blessing it was to, to think about that. And I hope you thought about that throughout the week in your time of prayer, to think about the positive role of trials in the midst of the life of a believer. Well, today, James is actually going to shift our attention uh, to potential pitfalls and to snares that are set when when a believer allows their trial to turn into temptation. And he's going to warn us. He's going to say, listen, do not be deceived. You're going to see that as we read the scripture tonight. Do not be deceived into blaming God, but instead that we should worship him as truly the only source of all that is good. And and to not wallow in our suffering, which is a temptation, but to actually focus our attention on good, gracious, heavenly Father. That's what he's going to encourage us in. Who gave us salvation by his grace. And so with that being said, if you would, go ahead and uh, join me. Open your Bibles to James. We're going to be in chapter 1 tonight, and we're going to be working our way from verse 13 down and through 18. And so I just want to start with uh, verse 13, and as we go, we're just going to work our way through that text. Will you join me as I read the Word of God? Verse 13 of chapter 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So point one is this, that that temptation to sin does not come from God, right? And Now listen, the pain and suffering of our trials can provoke in us all types of temptations that are inside us, right? Knowing that temptations are coming and and understanding how they work in and through us is going to be vitally important if we're going to make it through this life, if we're going to continue to persevere in it. So that's why in verse 13 it says, let no one say when, He is tempted. When? We should expect that temptations will come. We should not be surprised. It doesn't say if you're tempted. It says when you are tempted. During our trials, uh, it's going to be very tempting to escape the pain by running to people or things that not only can they not help us, but they have no ability 
to save. That temptation is very real. Um, we do this in a, in a sense to relieve or ease the pain that we're feeling. And we can do that in a myriad of ways, by the way. We could do that potentially with drugs or alcohol or sex outside of the marriage between the covenant of a man and a woman. Yet, listen, that's not the only temptations that are going to find their way in the midst of a trial. No, we must be on guard for probably what is the biggest temptation that will come our way. And that temptation is to blame God and accuse him of not being good in the midst of our suffering. See, that temptation, that temptation is very enticing because in our sinful nature, guess what? We always want or need someone or something to blame. That's exactly what our enemy Satan would love for us to do. He would desire that we'd respond by cursing God. That's exactly what happened within the book of Job. Or let's say that's what he desired would happen. See, in the book of, of, of Job, the Bible deals with this age-old question. What do we do with human suffering? Particularly suffering to the, the righteous, the afflictions of the righteous. And so here's a brief summary of Job. Uh, the book opens with this righteous man, right, Job, and, and then immediately it goes right into Satan coming to God and accusing Job before God. And, and Satan insists that Job only loves God because his life has just been daisies all the day long. And he then, he says, listen, if you were to afflict this man, if you were to allow me to go and just wreak havoc in his life, well then, he would curse you, God. And so, if you know the story... God allows that. And listen, in Job 1.11, listen to what Satan says. He says, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he, your faithful servant, he'll curse you. He will curse you. Well, God, he allows, he does. And, and Job was stripped of his wealth. He was reduced to poverty. Not only that, his children were taken away. His health was gone. He was decimated. The only thing that was left was his wife and maybe a few friends. And if you know the story, you'll have to decide as to whether that was a blessing or not. Because if you read Job, Job 2.9, listen to what is said by his helpmate. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Well, that was helpful. Listen, so... Right? I mean, but Job's wife, listen, she was coming to this conclusion that in the midst of suffering, God is not good. And by the way, that's a popular explanation for the pain and suffering of our lives, if we could be real. Uh, yet, Job responds in faithfulness. He, he doesn't give in to the temptation. Job refuses to curse God, even when Satan used his wife to tempt him even further. And look how he responds in Job 2.10. He says this, but he said to her, Job says to his wife, he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we not receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And in this, Job did not sin with his lips. See, by the grace of God, Job did not take the bait of that temptation. And just as Job, we must seek to endure in our trials in a way that brings glory to God, right? And, and to do so, we must never forget that God, not only is he not bad, but he doesn't mean us harm, and he is ultimately good. Yet the temptation to blame him is going to be real, and it can be intense at times, especially in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering, 
So if trials, uh, if we think in the midst of the trial that God's tempting us to sin, we're wrong. And that, that temptation doesn't come from God. He desires good for his children. So where does this temptation come from? Well, the temptation to sin comes from our own sinful desires. James is going to teach us where temptation comes from and how it works and ultimately where it leads. And he's going to tell us that God is good in and through all of it. So let's deal with this first question. Where does temptation come from? Well, we, will, we learn from verse 13 where it does not come from. It does not come from our good and gracious God. But look with me in verse 14 where it does come from. Verse 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. By his own desire. See, in order to fight this good fight of faith, we must understand ourselves. And when I say that, I do not mean in the way the world wants you to understand yourself by getting in touch with yourself. That's not at all what is being said here. But to get in touch with yourself through the lens of Scripture. And in a sense, let it read your mail. And and when it reads your mail, guess what? It ain't good. It's, you know, temptations come from the desires within our own sinful heart. It's like prego. It's in there, right? And we know this because Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart, the heart, the who you are, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why when people do crazy, ignorant things and they say, well, you don't know my heart. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. You just revealed it, and the Bible tells me all about your heart. It tells me all about my heart. It's not a good thing, right? But, but we hate to hear this, if we could be real, because we wrongly think that we're basically good, right? I'm, I'm not a liar. Well, didn't you just lie? Yeah, but that's not who I am. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I'm in this mud puddle with you, okay? So we hate to hear this because in the midst of our trial, when we're struggling and temptations start to well up inside of us, we want to blame someone. We want to blame anyone. We want to blame anything but ourselves. And when we take that bait and jump headfirst into a big bowl of sin, we got to have someone to blame, right? I mean, Nothing new going on here, by the way, if you're familiar with the Bible. Think back to how Adam and Eve responded after they gave in to the temptation and the desire to ultimately be like God and to be independent of him. God calls out Adam. And he says, have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? By the way, he's not asking for information here. And listen to how our boy responds. Adam says, the woman... The woman who you gave to be with me, yeah, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and and I ate. All right, then God calls out Eve, and and he says, what is it that you have done? And she says, hey, the the serpent, he deceived me, and I ate. So, So get this, Eve, ultimately, she blames the devil, and Adam, he blames Eve, right? And ultimately, they're blaming God, because, I mean, listen, Adam says, the woman, you know, that woman you gave me, God? I mean, I was just naked, free, just enjoying life, just naming some animals, just chilling, and I was like tilling the ground and doing all that stuff. I was fine. You said it wasn't good. You gave me a woman. You took her out of my rib. You made me sleep. I wake up. Bam, there she is. All was good, but she gave me the fruit, God. You're to blame. And we might laugh at that, but we've done that. And the uncomfortable truth of the matter is that no matter how difficult the trial, 
when we give in to temptations to sin, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. You and I, listen, we don't get to blame our upbringing. We don't get to blame our surroundings. Heck, we don't even get to blame the devil, and you sure as heck do not get to blame God. Now, you can. You can do that, but it would be very unwise to do that because doing that would, well, number one, neglect what the Bible teaches about us, and doing so will only allow you to wallow in your self-pity and not allow you to experience the grace and the glory and the freedom that comes within the gospel. Oh, what a misunderstanding. The gospel, you know that good news which explains you and I, we're way worse than we could have ever dreamed and that God is infinitely greater than you and I could ever imagine? Yeah, that gospel. And to blame him would be to neglect that. If you want to blame anyone, you, me, how about this? Grab a mirror, hold it in your face right there, and whoever's looking back at you, that's who you get to blame. That works. Because here's the thing. And and by the way, I know that message grates against people. It grates against our world. It grates against us because, listen, we live in a world of victim-like mentality and victims. But church, church, oh man, listen, we must not be conformed to that pattern. We must not be shoved into its mold. But we must have our minds transformed and renewed through the Bible, And the Bible is very clear, by the way, sin doesn't come from outside of us, it comes from within us. Just listen to what Jesus said in Mark 7, 20 through 22. He said this, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. What Jesus is saying here is ultra clear. The problem is our heart, which refers to the center of who we are, including our minds, our emotion, and our will. Our greatest problem is not something happening outside of us, but it is something that's going on inside of us. And listen, every trial in this life will come with a temptation from an inner desire to, to, to blame God and God. Now listen, he may allow that trial. He is sovereign over all, but he is not the author of the temptation and the desire to sin. He wants you to persevere through the t- trial. He doesn't want you to fail. It'd be like if I had my daughter out there and I was teaching her to ride a bike. I might stretch her and challenge her to ride that bike, but I don't want her to crash and break all her bones. I want her to to pedal and to enjoy this freedom. I don't want her to fail, but I might challenge her to push off and to go. Yet in the middle of our trial and in the middle of great suffering, it can be hard to remember that God is good. We see great wickedness all around us in this life and suffering all around us. And we may be experiencing it. We may be seeing it in people's lives. And it can be very tempting to want to blame God. Do you remember how Habakkuk responded in the midst of his great suffering? Habakkuk is totally perplexed because he sees all this wickedness going on around him and he wants to know this. He wants to know why a good God would allow this. Why, why doesn't he do something about it? Because he loves the Lord and he knows that the Lord is all powerful. He knows that God, if he wanted to do anything, he could do that. He could stop the pain. And so listen to what he says when he cries out in Habakkuk 1, chapter 1, 2 through 4. He says, he says oh Lord, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? 
or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. He goes, why do you make me see such iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence, they are ever before me. Strife and contention, they arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk was confused. He was perplexed. It seemed to him that God was doing nothing to straighten out the conditions in the world. And that in those moments he was so tempted to blame God. Yet in the middle of this sinful broken world, God is the only one who we can trust to be good. So back to James. So we've taken the time to see where temptation to sin and suffering does not come. It does not come from God. And then we've taken the time to see where it does come. It comes from our own sinful desires. Now James, is, he's going to take the time to explain how temptation works and ultimately where it can lead. Listen with me as I read James 1, 14 through 15. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now listen, nobody is excluded from being tempted, right? But here's the thing. What what one finds tempting and what another finds tempting may be completely different. Temptations, in a sense, are made to order just your way. So something that's tempting to you may not even be a thing for me and vice versa. And this is why we ought to be careful as Christians not to criticize other believers who may struggle with some things that we think is just totally insane. We all have different bents. We all have different proclivities towards particular sins. Yet, we're all tempted. And for some, it may be more intense to sin, let's say sexually. And for others, it may be very tempting and and enticing to sin with our attitudes or with our tongues to slander and to cut down those we say we love. For others, it may be worshiping gods that truly are not gods, right? Through idolatry, through heart idols, through chasing after this thing that's supposed to bring us a complete happiness. And if that's not God, that's what idolatry is. You name it. But one thing remains true, and that is that we all have particular areas where we are more prone to give in to our temptations. Now, to illustrate that, James uses these words of luring and enticing. And and you can't help but to think of the thought of fishing, right? We live in western Pennsylvania. Many of us have been fishing before. And if you and I ever go fishing uh, and we hope to actually catch anything, there's going to be some things we're going to need. We're going to need a hook. We're going to probably need some line. We're going to need some bait. And we're going to cast it out and we're going to need some fish, right? Now, now here's the thing. It, if you and I want to catch anything, we better learn to hide the hook, right? Now, you could catch some stupid fish. I will tell you, I have. I've thrown in a bear hook and literally I've caught some fish. But generally you can't do much with them. They're a little goppy and they're dumb and, and you've got to throw them back or whatever. But if you want to catch a fish you can do something with, you better learn to hide the hook and make the bait extremely enticing, And then you cast it out, and they give you these x-ray goggles anymore so you can see the fish, and you can even see if he's chasing after it. And as they go, right, you just need to dress it up a little better and a little better to eventually, bam, he bites, and he's on. And the hooks are in, and you're dragging him where he does not want to go, especially if I'm catching him, because I'm not into catch and release. I think that's dumb. right? If you're into that, that's cool, great, throw him back. But I'm into catch and fry, because I like to eat fish. So that fish is not going to be excited when he sees me at the end of the line. 
Well, in life, luring and enticing, well, it works the same way. Because we're lured and enticed by what we already desire from our heart. And we must learn to fight the temptation to give in. Or we will be taken also to places we're not trying to go. Because listen, sin, sin never stops where we'd like it to. Can we just be real? It, it always takes us places we're not trying to go. It drags us down and it pulls us away from the Lord. So look at where sin leads. Look at verse 15. One more time. Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. What an ugly baby, right? And sin, when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Temptation in and of itself, listen, is not sin. We, we know that from Job's life. You're going to see that as in Habakkuk's life as well. So like Job and like Habakkuk, we must fight the temptation of, of sin that comes in our lives. But the problem is this. Many times, not only do we not fight the temptation, but we can even make the mistake of entertaining them. Heck, we, we welcome them. We allow them. We enjoy them. We think about them. We dwell upon them. We dream of them. And what a huge mistake it would be to do that. Because if you think that, that giving in to sin, well, here's another mistake we can make. We can think that if we give in to sin, that we'll feel better, right? Like in a sense that somehow we got it out of our system and that these desires, then they magically go away. They don't magically go away. That would be a foolish thought. They only get stronger and stronger. And as they do, the hooks go deeper and deeper. And, and as that happens, you are led, I am led to things and to places we don't want to go. And this is why we must fight. We must fight at the first signs of temptation To paint this picture, J.C. Ryle wrote in his book, Thoughts for Young Men, he says this, and I quote, Habits, like trees, are strengthened by age. A a boy may bend an oak when it is a sapling, but a hundred men cannot root it up when it is a fully grown tree. Now to be fair... J.C. Ryle, he's talking about habits, and you and I can have good or bad habits, but we can also have good or bad desires, but the point remains true. The picture works for sin, because the more you give into it, the stronger it becomes, and sin in our lives will never stop where you want them to. You think you can control it? You cannot control it. I cannot control it. It will take you down. It's foolish to play with sin. Sin is not to be played with. The wages of sin is death. And remember what, what God told Cain right before he gave in to the temptation to kill his brother. He says, listen, he says, God says to Cain, he says, sin, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it, Cain. Yet we know how that ended. We convince ourselves that giving in to temptation And jumping into a big bowl of sin is somehow no big deal. And we're such self-swindlers. We really are. I mean, we know better. We know better than that. But we convince ourselves otherwise. And then we make excuses. And ultimately, then we blame God for the temptation. And then we have the audacity to blame him for the sin that we chose. And we even say dumb things like this. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I, I couldn't help it. Oh, the temptation was far too great for me to bear. He made me this way. He put me in this situation. 
He's sovereign. We even use religious language. He knew I couldn't handle it. He, he allowed me to be here. I just couldn't. Oh, stop. Stop. The only problem with that thinking is the Bible. That's the problem with that thinking. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Oh, Christian, hear that. Christian, get that in your head. At the moment of salvation, sin's mastery over you has been broken. It no longer has rule and reign over you. You are not a slave to it any longer. In Christ, you have a new master. His name, Jesus. You do not have to give in to sin. The same spirit which raised Jesus from the grave is now at work in those who believe. So you're going to say that he can't give you the power to withstand. The word of God just said that is true. But we got to fight. we got to fight sin. Listen to what John Owen said when he said this. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We must remember this in the midst of our trial when pain and suffering is at its peak. Because that's when we're most vulnerable. That's when we're most vulnerable. When we're hurting, we just want to salve ourselves and give in to temptation. But we must remember that that sin, sin is not our friend. And God, God is certainly not our enemy. In our trials, we will be tempted to forget that God is good. That's why James continues. Will you read with me in 16 through 18? He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. See, some deception, some deception is very easy to spot. Yet, others, not so much. You know, The thing is, listen, sin's not going to come to you like a rattlesnake with bunny ears saying, Hi, I'm sin. I love you, but I want to devour you and eventually destroy you and ruin your life. Would you like to play? It's not going to do that. But sometimes I think we foolishly think that that's how it works. That's not how it works. Because listen, my friends, that would not be all that enticing. Right? Like, oh yeah, come on, rattlesnake, let's play. Well, no, 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 no. It always seems so good good. Man, it just seems so right. Man, we even fool ourselves, but we know better because we see, man, this is pretty obvious, right? But no, we deceive ourselves into thinking that somehow, some way, this is a good thing. This is a great idea. But it's not. It's not. And that's why James says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. But about what? About what? Well, it's not about that sin is deceiving. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, do not be deceived about the goodness of God. 
about the goodness of God in the midst of our pain and our suffering, in our trials. Do not be deceived. As we had seen earlier, we have a tendency to forget how bad we are. But in the midst of our suffering, we also have a tendency to forget how good God is. And we have a tendency to forget that because it's easy to forget when we're hurting. It really is. If you've ever been hurting, and I'm assuming all of us have from varying degrees, but if you've ever just been in the trenches, it can be hard to remember that God is good. And if we're going to remain steadfast under trial and stand this test, we must never forget that every good and perfect gift is from God. And unlike shadows that will shift and change all the day long, God, God never changes. He is constantly good. He's constantly good. Listen, remember, trials will come and trials will go. Temptations will come and temptations will go. They're like shadows. They move all the day long. God is not like that. He's not like that. He never changes. He remains steadfast. And when darkness is all around us and the temptation to sin seems too much to bear, How can we know God is good, really is the question. And and where can you look? Where can you look? Well, Christian, we know we look to the God of our salvation. We look to the cross. We look to the empty grave. We look to the fact that I was headed towards hell, and God, in, in his kindness, by his grace, interrupted that walk. And he saved me. And this is exactly what Habakkuk did. Even though his circumstances did not change. They did not. His perspective did, though. His perspective totally changed. He got a divine perspective. This is exactly what happens when we think upon the good news of Jesus. We look with me? Look with me how Habakkuk responded in the midst of great trial when his circumstances did not change. So Habakkuk three seventeen through 18 says this, He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Let's just pause there. I'm not a farmer. I like farmers because I like food. And so when they do their job right, I get that. But this dude just said, listen, the fig tree, the fields, the olives, all these things, the animals, nothing's in the stuff. I got, I got nothing at all. And he's talking basic necessities, right? It's not like this dude can just run to Walmart, by the way, okay? So he has zero. And if you understand the book of Habakkuk, you will understand he has had his lunch ate all the day long. And he comes to this point. And listen to what he says. All that's going on. None of my circumstances have changed. Yet, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you hear that? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, Christian, how good is God? Oh, he's good all the time, right? I mean, you can't help but say that after you ask that question. He is good all the time. God is always good to us. His love never fails. James is saying that if you ever wonder about God's goodness, well, think upon the gospel. 
You see, sin leads to death. But Jesus, Jesus came that we might have life and have life abundantly. That's the good news of the gospel. And, and just to point this out, he goes on. So in verse 18, just take some time with me. Will you look at it with me? He says, of his own will, of his own will, of his own choice, God God, in his infinite wisdom, he has chosen to give us this salvation. See, salvation is a gracious gift from a good God. It is not something you and I could ever earn. It is a big gift with a beautiful bow upon it to be received. And he chose to do this by his own free will. Because here's the thing, you and I, like we bring nothing to the table except the need of salvation. We bring nothing to the table and, and so he doesn't look at you and say, oh, I think this one's pretty good. He's, he's got a good Christian lineage. I think I'll save him. He never does that. He never does. He loves us in spite of us because he's good. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so listen as he continues. So of his own free will, he does this. But how does he do it? What are the means? We'll continue in the text. He brought us forth by the word of truth. He gives us this new life through the word of truth, through this gospel message that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And what a powerful message it is, right? What a powerful message. It's so powerful that it can penetrate the hardest of hearts. It can make dead people alive, this message, the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe, this gospel that we're unashamed of as Christians. That message brings life brings life. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Oh God, we thank you for this message. And, and so then what is its results? Well, look at with me at the end of this text. That we, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Oh, what a glorious God we have. And, and, and so listen, I, I want you to know something. I'm not making light of your suffering. I know some of you are suffering in ways I can't fathom. I know that. I've not been without it myself. And it can hurt. But blaming God and running the things that he's not got for you will not help. It will just hurt you even further. And that's not what God would desire for you. So when you and I are tempted to doubt God's goodness towards us, Think upon the gospel. Meditate upon the gospel. I mean, muse over it. Allow it to stir around in your mind and in your heart. Listen, Christian, we have direct access to the throne of grace. We can come boldly to him. We can lay out our heart, and he loves us in the midst of all of it, even when we're skinning our knees, even when we're failing. Oh, so we pray and we talk to our God through the Lord Jesus Christ and we gather with other Christians and, and get in community and have them pray for us and, and we read the Bible and we hear from God and there's times when even the suffering is so great I can't even read the word of God but yet I'm going to do this, Lord, and I pray when I do, I pray I hear from you. And we think of this good news. See, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. When it's hurting really bad, you may be tempted to say during this trial of life that God, you're not fair. You're just not fair. But I'd be really careful, Christian. I wouldn't say that because if you want fair, if we really think about it, you know what you get? You get hell. 
That's what you get. That's fair. Because that's what our sins deserve. No, no, no. I don't want fair. I want mercy. I want mercy. I want grace. And I'm glad God is not fair in that moment, but instead he is good. And that goodness is displayed upon most magnificently the gospel of Jesus Christ. And James, James is reminding us that all good and all perfect gifts come down from the hand of God. That same God who is the father of lights. You know, the one who hung all the stars in the sky. The one who hung the sun. The one who put the moon in place. That God, that God who hung all the lights. That same God that hung Jesus upon a cross. That allowed him to be hung upon a cross. So that you and I might be received forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation. Yeah, that God. Oh, he's good. Oh, he's so good. He is so good. And so here's the thing. And I want you to know this. James, Job, Habakkuk, you, and me, we're all broken sinners. Every one of us. Because we can make the mistake of making these guys heroes. And if they are, praise God. That's his grace. And I mean, we should look at them. They're like the cloud of witnesses, as we know from the book of Hebrews. But they're sinners. They're sinners who need grace. They're sinners who need forgiveness. They're sinners who need the blood of Christ to cover their sin. And so when I think of that, and when you think of that, you can't help but say, what a gracious, what a merciful, what a glorious, good God we have. Right? I mean, his steadfast love never fails. That's the God we worship. That's the God of the universe. That's the God who will get you through this life. And see, here's the thing. I've always made fun of the, uh, the footprint story, right? You know the one, all right? So like two sets of footprints walking down the beach. Well, what about the time I only saw one? Did you leave me? No, no, I carried you. And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful picture. If you like that, praise God, right? But I got to tell you, I'm, I want someone who has some artistic ability to make me one, right? And it's going to have two sets of footprints. And it's going to go to one. And then I want it to be like a drag line in the sand, right? Because that's my life. I'm kicking and screaming. And God's like, I'm going to get you through this, son. Okay, okay. Oh, man, the gospel of Jesus Christ is glorious news. It's glorious news because it's all about what Jesus has done to deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into his kingdom. And, And in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins and we have a new life. And because of that, we get to draw near to the throne of grace and get help in our time of need. So lift up your head, sinners. Listen, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him. He's the perfecter of our faith. And remember, Christ is already taken care of our greatest problem, which is the wrath of God. He's already taken care of it. You are in Christ. You are in life. You are safe. But that does not make sin safe for the Christian. Make no mistake about it. You still have an adversary who wants to devour you. So don't be foolish. Stick close to God. And in Christ, death is dead. And now we're alive. This is how we know that God is good. 
So we must keep that in our hearts and in our minds as we move forward in this life when trials come and temptations come. We must remember this good news. It's not, the good news is just not the thing that you get to get into heaven, right? It's the thing, it is the message which will sustain us till the moment we see him face to face. And so we don't move past the gospel. We need to think about it daily. We need to meditate on it and we need to share it with others. And so in closing... As we move forward in this series through the book of James, we're going to see this, that if by God's grace we've received new life through faith in Jesus, that it will show itself in a transformed life for God's glory. Because let's be real. Let's be very real in this moment. The gospel that does little to affect your life in the way you live and the way you talk and all the things you do has probably done nothing for your eternal state. Because that's what James is going to tell us, man. I've been reading this book, and I've been loving it. And I've been, I've been being changed in and through it. And I'm going to encourage you to do that same thing. To read this book. Read it daily. Meditate on it. Think over it. Pray and be transformed in and through it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.